You are listening to the Heavenly Chi podcast, episode number 62. Today I'm joined by Nava Carmen, and we are going to be talking about creativity versus service. Let's start this episode off, Nava, by allowing you to introduce this topic because this is a topic that I'm very excited about and it's one that you suggested and I really like the way that you introduced it. So could you give an intro to our listeners about today's topic and what we mean when we talk about service versus creativity? This topic came about for me when I was doing an assessment after lockdown eased for the first time. This is before we went back in because I'm here in the UK even though I'm an Aussie. And I always like to put that in there just to make sure everyone is very clear that I'm an Aussie. Anyway, so I was doing an assessment and I was looking at all the things that I had in my life that were going out effectively or that was requiring something of me and what was going in. And I realized that there was an awful lot of out and that I thrive on the out, but that the balance of what was going in was not happening because all of my support systems that I've built up so carefully had been taken away in the pandemic and also due to having a very small baby and a husband who had very graciously agreed to come and work with me uh, before the pandemic hit and then turned our life upside down. And so what I was looking at is where was I in all of this and what I need for myself is not just chief from the outside to nourish me, someone supporting me, Um, And I definitely need to have that not at the expense of my husband, which was what was happening in the pandemic when we had no support. Whenever we needed something, it was at the other's expense, effectively. The other took on the children, took on the work to to lift it off the other person. But I also looked at uh, the idea of what being creative means to me, how I nourish myself and, and the service I give meaning the the books I read, the courses I take, the time I have to write, how I was going to manage that time versus the things I absolutely had to do to make money to support the infrastructure of my life, meaning children, school, clothes, food, and the things that I consider really important that allow me to make money, which is also cleaner, childcare, PA, all of those sort of things. And so for me, when I looked at it, it was service versus creativity because part of my service is to support a community of practitioners who've trained with me, to support people I'm masterminding and mentoring with, to support my clients. And we really need that balance to be right in order to not burn out. And so I called you up, didn't I? I left your voice message and I was like, right, download, Claire. Let's talk about this next time. Because I know you had a similar experience to me, right? A total taking away of all support and reevaluation of how you were going forward in life too. Can you speak about that a bit? Yeah, absolutely. I do agree with you tracking back to almost the first sentence where you were talking about all of the ins and all of the outs and energy in and energy out and the way in which that you give so much to your community of practitioners, to your family and um, and to others in your life and that that giving itself allows you to thrive. Like there's something that we get back from that giving and we can maybe come back to that later. Um, but I definitely have a sense for myself as well of that, you know, I feel rejuvenated and regenerated within myself with the giving but it does it does take a toll and there's only so much energy that i have there's only so many hours in the day that i can spend on 
admin and running a household and parenting and all of those types of things. And and last year, you know, 2020, as it was the case for so many of us, you know, we all hit our limit multiple times, you know, in various ways as the um, as the year progressed, regardless of which country we were in and at what stage of lockdown or not we were in. And for me, you know, I really had to, I really had to take stock and it's, you know, the extra challenge for me is, um, you know, the challenge of being a single parent where I don't, you know, I have to employ people essentially to have that load taken off me. I don't have the luxury of family who can, who I can call on for regular, regular grandparenting or auntie visits. Um, and so, for me, that was really tough because the the lockdown restrictions here in Australia, it wasn't possible for me to have that that home help to come as well. And so, homeschooling with my kids, trying to do Zoom calls with my patients from home, you know, trying to make it to the supermarket with two kids in tow, and the frowning of you know you should only have one person per household going to the shops, and you know all of all of that kind of stuff was going on and that posed extra layers of challenge as well. But for me, the in and out has been fairly precariously balanced and that was something that really came into the limelight last year for me was I didn't realise how precarious that balance was and that my frequent short holidays that I was taking and my regular massages that I was taking and all of the self-care strategies that I'd had in place for so long, all of a sudden they were taken away and I didn't have those self-care strategies available to me and then with the extra pressures added on and no holidays no massages no housekeeper um and it it really hit me and my mental health really suffered last year you know as practitioners so many of us felt like you know at various times that we were just holding the space for our patients to come in and cry for us and that takes it's really hard as a practitioner to have so much of that offload coming all of the time without having our own bucket to kind of empty out at the end of the day. And so it took, it, it really took a toll for me and and I spent a lot of time reevaluating and, you know, knowing that I was in struggle and knowing that I wasn't coping and then having to reevaluate, okay, where am I going to put my energy? Am I going to take time off work, which I did have a couple of um, short stints of time off work last year. But what I really needed was to change up my systems and to change the, my clinical environment and to change a few things. And, and those processes took time for me. So I guess it, um, I didn't have the ability to just take three months off to, to allow things to resettle. And I, I wouldn't feel comfortable doing that to my patients anyway. You know, who am I going to send them to? Um, who's going to look after them in my absence? And so there was lots of rejigging that happened and lots of recalibrating that happened, but um, I managed to, I think, strike a better balance. But, yeah, the test will, the test will come because, um, you know, here in Australia we're in the end of, the end of April now, heading into winter, and, um, you know, we're expecting more lockdowns and more shake-ups to come in the in the coming months. Mm. Claire, you talked about paid help. Can we delve into that a little bit more? Because I don't know about you, but I am really trying to move away from the 
the angel and the devil around that, the kind of hashtag first world privilege of it that allows us to employ other people in order to join the patriarchy, if you like. Yeah. Um, and the, the feelings that I certainly was brought up with in terms of feeling guilty about it, taking the time for myself, doing things that look like hedonism that we're now labelling and seeing differently versus the fact that I really do know that if we don't do that, we can't work in the way we do or access all of the bits of us that we want to explore, display out in the world. How have you made your peace with the... Um, I'm okay with getting a massage. I'm okay with the self-care. I'm okay with treating myself. I'm okay with doing nothing. I'm okay with employing people to look after my home. How do you make your peace with that? That's a really great question. I like that question. Um, For me, there are moments where I catch myself and I think, wow, that statement just smacks of privilege. You know, I talk about my housekeeper and how she, you know, she does so many fabulous things for me. She basically is the glue that holds everything together. You know, I've got small children and so the challenge of just ducking down to the shop for some milk becomes this epic, you know, this epic outing with a three-year-old and a seven-year-old who may not feel like going out of the house to get milk, (laughs) Um, you know, and dragging screaming toddlers around supermarkets is not anyone's idea of how they want to spend their life. And, you know, the things that can be very easily taken for granted within the confines of a partnership, you know, if you've got a partner or a husband or a wife or, you know, any type of person that's living with you where they can mind the children whilst you go out or, you know, vice versa, they can go out and collect the things that's needed. Um, so having having that paid person um, in lieu of, you know, a close friend or a close contact is just, um, it's just something that I've had to make peace with. I, you know, I could become really reflective and nostalgic and say, oh, you know, poor me, I don't have, you know, there's no grandparents to help out and there's no, you know, but that's just not the approach that I've chosen to take. It's like, well, I have this problem and I'm going to solve it. Um, And so for me, it's just, it's a very practical thing. I take a very pragmatic approach to it. I have this problem in my life. How am I going to solve it? And that's just been the easiest way. Um, so that's in terms of paid help around the house. Um, you know, gone are the days where there was a primary breadwinner and, the, and then a householder who ran the household. You know, it's, it's, not just a, it's not just a one hour a day task. Like when you have children, they're just mess-making machines. Um, you know, I could spend an hour a day and all I would do would be just tidy up Lego and and books and pencils and, you know, and dishes, you know, and I and stacking the dishwasher and that type of thing. It's, you know, there's several, several hours every day required to make a household function well. And, you know, for me... I want the listeners to know that I am nodding with my head in my hands with that list. <laughs> You know, it's, um, you know, the reality is that when you've got both parents working or, you know, if there's one parent, if it's a one-parent household and that parent's working, you know, we're not, there's no magic unicorns hiding in the cupboard. Like things still have to get done. And I have 
you know, knowing myself and knowing how I work, when I hit my limit, that's when I get angry and I can get yelly and shouty with my children. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to, you know, break down into tears. You know, like I, I want to... I want to be, I want to have a good existence. I want to have a good life. And so if I can solve those problems by employing someone and that creates work for that person and creates meaningful, meaningful employment and and a source of income for that person, then I'm happy to participate in that capitalist uh, structure. You know, having massages and things like that, I think, I mean, we're in healthcare. Like we are also where people come to. It's it's slightly different in that you know when I'm going for a massage, it's not necessarily remedial, but it's you know it's preventative mental health care for me. Really, I don't have too many problems with muscular musculoskeletal issues. It's more just around regulating my nervous system and just having that you know, the benefits of having someone interact with your body for an hour or two hours, whatever it is, you know, someone I think to be put in rather than your own recycled. It's not the same to give yourself a massage. We all know that. Like you've got to have that external input of, um, of someone else caring for you for a couple of hours, um, which, you know, is something that, a lot of people enjoy and so it's it's something that I do that in, that I enjoy I don't drink alcohol so I don't sit down with a glass of wine as something that I enjoy I might watch some tv but you know massage is part of my it's just part of my enjoyment of life same with holidays I like to have you know a little two or a three night trip away these are all things that you know in the course of knowing myself over the last couple of decades I've worked out the things that create a happy life for me and so if I work out okay what is it that I want my life to be like and that's that's my goal that I go for in terms of okay well then what does my work life need to look like in order to facilitate the time but also to facilitate the income to to support to support those things and that's something that I know that you're quite passionate about too Nava is that you know it's important to not shy away from things due to issues around money that we might have just inherited from other people or you know the values that we hold around money and how we spend it how we earn it you know they're, they're quite deeply embedded for some of us, for all of us. For all of us. I've done so much work around that in the last couple of years, particularly the idea of living in abundance in a pandemic when so many people are struggling. Mm. I ended up drawing a line between the amount of money I made and the impact I could have in the world, and that's a line that I feel very comfortable with writing down in terms of talking about making money. But I also think that it is everybody's right to, to live in a happy, healthy way. And through all the work I've done on the mindset stuff, what I realise is that money brings so much choice, so much freedom, so much happiness and so much ability to give back. It's a font that is, it can be used badly as always. You can squander it, you can hide your money, you cannot pay taxes. But I've got to the point now where I'm like, a big tax bill? 
great. Let me sign it with love and, you know, send it back out into the universe because I've made enough money to have to pay that much tax. I've really worked on transforming my relationship with it. And I've done a lot of work on manifesting around money. And that stuff really works. I remember sitting in the middle of the pandemic and writing a list of the things that I wanted and how much I thought it would cost. And I'm telling you right now, a year later, here I am, all of those things have come true and they have happened. It's extraordinary how once you get your head around that stuff, it really does work. And I remember doing it on a day where we just, you know, up all night with a baby breastfeeding, work during the day, my husband 50-50, so we're trading off between homeschooling, me with clients, you know, then we get to the end of the day, the kids go down, we shove some food in, then we do all of the tidying up for the next hour, you know, we like get the food prep in, make the orders, you know, whatever. There was just no time to breathe and there's no recovery time in that, in that. And so I remember having one afternoon for myself in the midst of the worst of that. And I was like, I just have to plan a brighter future. I have to plan what it's going to be like when I get to have all those things I need back in when I get to have all those support systems and all of that structure that I need to fill my own bucket up back in and what I can do with that. So it was a really like positive thing to do in the midst of that really hard yakka, that really hard work that we were doing in that time. Hmm. It's interesting that when you were talking about how your day just basically started from the minute that you woke up and it was every moment was accounted for until the end of the day when you're lying your head on the pillow that well the two hours I got before the baby woke up and I had to shove a boob in his mouth yeah (laughs) (laughs) you know because let's just have you know raising raising people in there as well like that's not an easy task Um, and that's challenging at the best of times and that's when you've got the ability to send children off to childcare and school and people are out of the house and you know you've got that space but I think what a lot of us experienced um, in 2020 and still to a certain extent now into 2021 is that feeling of confinement and constriction and that there isn't the space and there isn't the breathing room that we've become accustomed to. And I'm a person who needs time on her own so not having time on my own that was do you experience that? Like that's really hard to not get. Yeah. Yeah. I need time to just potter around the house. I just want to, you know, go and move something from one place to another and see if I like it. And I just want to go and I just want to be in the house with no one. I don't want to have to be monitoring for what other people in, in my house are doing or what they're thinking or do I need to think about that person right now it's like no I just want to be here on my own and enjoying the spaciousness and the quiet Um, and that's something that um, that I've realized is really valuable to me the other thing I, I learned about myself last year and what I've done for a long time was that with my work I've focused more on being in clinic for a set number of like for a shorter number of days but slightly longer hours, so then I get more days off in a row. But what I found last year and into the start of this year was that my long clinic days felt like marathons. You know, I'd be there from normally, you know, 9.30 in the morning until 7 at night and I would do that maybe two days a week. You know, or I'd do 9.30 till 7 and my other day would be 9.30 till 2.30. 
Um, so I was only working about 11, 12, 13 hours a week at most. But that just felt really hard. And even though I was having five days where I wasn't in clinic, I still felt like I was exhausted by the time, you know. Did you feel like you were recovering from those days? Well, no, I didn't feel like I got that recovery time. And so, you know, I was getting to work at 9.30. By the time I got to 2 o'clock, I felt like I wanted to go home and cancel the rest of my patients for the day. Um, So one thing that I have changed is that I've made my, I've increased my clinic days, but I've shortened the duration of my clinic days. And that's actually feeling a lot better. I've been doing that in the last month since I've been in my new clinic and it feels fabulous. I love going into work for a a two-hour shift or, you know, a three-hour shift. I come home and I've still got energy left over. Amazing. Yeah. I think as we get older too, we, I certainly have reevaluated the number of clients I want to see in a row. I don't ever want to feel like I'm getting to the end of the day and I don't have exactly the same to give that last client that I did the first. Mm. Yeah. And so I, cause I do, uh, cause I'm a herbalist and I work online. I've got clients from all over the world, including for example, one client who's in Hawaii who was used to seeing me in the evening and I've just had to say, um, I just can't do it anymore. I'd rather start cause my kids are up at sort of six 30, six, six 30. I'd rather start earlier and then be done earlier. Yeah. And be able to have that time to regulate my nervous system before I go to bed. So I get a good night's sleep and start the day off better again. And actually, now I'm saying that, I'm thinking you've mentioned nervous system too. Hmm. Shall we talk a little bit about what nervous system regulation means in the context of us as women and as practitioners? Yeah, let's talk about that. You, you start off, you start the ball rolling. So I got really conscious about what the nervous system was, the different bits of it, the parasympathetic versus sympathetic nervous system. And I really kind of did a deep dive into the biomedicine of it. And Ideally, we want to be sitting in the parasympathetic. That's the bit where um, we're calm, we're unstressed, we're creative, we're in touch with our emotions, we're able to co-regulate with other people and connect with them. The vagus nerve has its um, sort of origins in the the brainstem and the bottom bit of the brain, and and that works best, that communication with the vagus nerve, which is a nerve, the 10th cranial nerve, but it, it accesses the gut the heart and the brain, the communication between those things, all of that works better when you're in a parasympathetic state. And quite frankly, I think we've all been in a sympathetic state for the last 15 months. We've been in fight or flight, right? I mean, a couple of months of stress we can all cope with, but we have had a sustained feeling of threat in all of our lives, external threat. And normally we cope with that by co-regulation, meaning like, we hug each other, we meet up, we have a laugh, we have a drink, we get outside, we look into each other's eyes, we sit next to each other and watch the same TV program, we smile at each other, you know, and all of that has been absent. Like, right, even mask wearing, we can't even co-regulate each other outside by smiling or seeing each other's mouths. Mm. So we've been really robbed of all the tools we need to be able to regulate our nervous systems and we've been forced to try and do it on our own and we're not supposed to as humans do that it's not a coping mechanism we've evolved to do and much as we talk about needing time on our own we only need a certain amount of time on our own we need the co-regulation with others too and so my pursuit over the last 15 months has been to figure out how I can get myself to sit and to activate my parasympathetic nervous system 
being really technical about it because that's me. I don't know how else to do it, but being really mindful. I've got like, if I turn, we're, we're, we're talking to each other on Zoom now, I'm showing Claire my little self-care list that I have because I'm a type A personality and that's how I roll. I have a self-care list I try and get through every day in order to make sure I'm doing the things that I know will regulate that bit of my nervous system. And I really feel the difference. I really feel so much better. And interesting, one of the things I've done, and I know people have commented on this, is I've got a little sign. I'm going to show Claire my sign. It says soft. And it turns out that when I have that, everything slows down for me. My, my speaking slows down. My listening improves. My voice, my voice drops to a different register. I'm much less hyperactive and ranty, which is good for a podcast. If you consider our very first one, <laughs> as opposed to today, we had to make Claire redo the first one. Um, but all of that is like tied in for me into that nervous system regulation that I can be better at everything if I'm sitting in that parasympathetic nervous system activation. So that's what it kind of has evolved to mean for me. What about you? Well, I want to know what's on your list. <laughs> really? Okay. Yes, really. Okay. So this is like a thing. So you can't judge me because it's so like organized, but this is what works for me. So twice a week I go for a run, first thing. And the other day I swapped business coaching with a friend of mine who's a personal trainer and we do strength session. And then the other days I do some kind of squats or sit-ups or some kind of physical activation. And then I'm up early. Um, my kids are brilliant and they don't come in until half past six. So I have a little bit of time first thing in the morning. And I do some sort of personal development work. I maybe listen to a hypnosis track or I do some sort of course I'm doing, something that is about my own personal development, not about work. And that gets me in a really positive frame of mind. And I do this thing called, it's a terrible name, but it's called segment intending. And it's activates the, it's the reticular activation system, that bit of the brain that is a sympathetic bit of the brain that I used to get me started in the day. And it's a really simple tool, which is me narrating the day. So I'll say out loud what I want my day to be like. And, you know, they never goes that way, but I notice a direct line in terms of my satisfaction with and how I'm feeling about me and my productivity and what I've achieved and, and just general happiness and communication in my day. If I've talked myself through my entire day and I generally have noticed a difference that I've managed to achieve what I want if I set that goal for the day. And then I get up look after the kids. We have a cuddle. We make breakfast. David comes down. He's had his shower. I got my run or I do whatever. And then when I'm getting in my shower, I do some skin brushing and I finish with a cold spray. And I've also made the choice for a number of days of the week that I do intermittent fasting. So I do a long fasting day, which I find really helps me. And then through the day, I take regular breaks and I have this fantastic machine called a Sensate, which is a vibrating machine that connects to my phone. My phone has plays music or sounds that um, you might have heard of bional, bional beats. It's, it's something that regulates your brain. And this little machine sits on my vagus nerve and vibrates and activates it. And it's like getting myself into a state of a master meditator, but instantly. I just go somewhere else for the time that this, however long I've programmed it to go on. And so I'm actively stopping through the day and doing these things. And that trains my nervous system to go rather than into a state of sympathetic fight or flight or stress when I'm resting or when I'm busy, if I don't have time to do it, it's programmed to go into parasympathetic state. And then I go to bed at a reasonable time. 
I'm quite phenomenally astonished by how different I feel if I'm asleep by 10.30. Not always possible, but I do really try because my day starts at six and I don't stop. Mm. And all of those things have just made the biggest difference to my life. I love the way your brain works, Nava, and I love the way that you just go full nerd. And you just like, right, I'm just going to research the heck out of this and come up with a solution that works. Like that's, that's something that I do admire about you. Um, and the rest of us are, are listening on in awe and just going, wow, what a great way. And imagine what my last 12 months would have been like if, if I had have done half of those things. Um, hack my life Claire otherwise I wasn't going to survive basically I didn't want to come out of it in burnout especially because you've you know you've been full steam ahead with your business the last well especially the last 12 months you know there's been a big push you didn't have the option so where am I at with you know nervous system regulation and what does that mean when I say it and what does that mean for me how does that play out for me, it's a much less formal uh, process and it involves a checking in with myself on a daily basis and re- at regular periods through the day. And there's definitely a big correlation for me between my, um, my overall state of health and how my nervous system's regulated and in particular my diet. And that's the thing that I've worked on the most in the last 12 months just to really hone in on what are the foods that my body really likes, where my body just smiles at me, where, you know, where I feel the most supported and what are the foods that don't support me so well. For me, the, the signs that my body gives me when, when I'm not coping so well is that I can get a feeling of anxiousness, I can get a feeling of like my appetite can upregulate I can have a sense of like an impending sense of doom. It could be I can, you know, my mood can, um, you know, I can get grumpy or I can get teary. And so if I'm constantly just checking in with myself, okay, how am I feeling right now? Then I can, I can monitor all of these things. And so I've worked out that there's particular set ways and particular set cho- food choices that I can make and particular set ways of, of eating and scheduling my eating that best supports me. And so it's much more of a fluid process, um, but when I'm not having any food additives and there's no alcohol and there's no allergens and things that I'm reacting to, everything actually feels pretty, pretty good. I, you know, I've been getting some treatment. I've had, you know, I've had some health challenges as well. So exercise, for example, wasn't an option for me last year because of, um, you know, some issues with my health. And so I've had to find other ways to regulate. So, you know, connecting with friends online and having that co-regulation, you know, learning to get that same feeling of connection via Zoom and finding out that that was even possible. I'm like, wow, this is great. I can just have drinks with my friends online. Um, I mean, it's obviously not quite the same as having a hug, but it's still pretty good. And so they're the things that, um, you know, when I think of nervous system regulation, I just think of that regular 
you know, and even, you know, as I'm doing it now and I'm sitting here on Zoom with Nava and I've got my eyes shut and I'm kind of gesturing towards my heart and just going, okay, well, when I'm checking in with myself, that's actually that process in and of itself quietens me down on the inside. So it's, yeah, it's definitely a a much less formal approach, but that's... Where does pizza fall? Pizza? Yeah, where does pizza fall in the self-care? Pizza. I fa- I actually found last year because I've got like my body, my body likes to challenge me. Let's just say that, um, and um, I've I've accepted the challenge and the invitation. But I've managed to find a pizza recipe that I can eat, um, and so I've made um, I've made pizza bases out of casein protein powder, wow, and eggs and water. Uh, oh, milk. And so that's been the pizza base that I've made a few times over lockdown. That was a, that was quite a nice discovery. I made it and I'm like, wow, this actually tastes great. There was a little mm. bit of fluff in there, <laughs> in, in the base, <laughs> didn't taste like cardboard. But yeah, I, um, it's not like I don't give myself treats. I can still, you know, one thing I've discovered is that I'm actually okay with dairy. All these years that, um, you know, p- you know, part of the challenge for me, because I do have, you know, so many foods that set my body off, that part of my challenge last year was to actually expand my food choices. And so I've worked out that I'm actually okay with rye bread and, um, and barley, but not with wheat. So I don't have to be gluten-free anymore. I, c- I just have to be wheat-free. Yeah, I'm okay with dairy, so I can have things like custard, and I can have things like panna cotta. Oh yeah, so they're the things, you know. I've Melbourne does have the best pastries. Oh my god, the best shops. Yeah, yeah, we um, we do have oh, Melbourne breakfasts. Totally off topic. Oh my god, there's nothing like it in the world. Mm-hmm. Indeed, and we didn't have it for six months, Nava. <laughs> seven months last year no one went out for breakfast it was um it was devastating Mm. um yeah we're back to our smashed avo on toast and our fabulous breakfast out anyone um you know when once our borders reopen and you're actually allowed to come here again um (laughs) feel free to come to australia coming home I was going to, wasn't I? I was going to come back to your last, your, we did it online instead, the symposium, didn't we? Yeah. 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 One day soon. Mm. But I think our, our relationship with food as women is an interesting thing when it comes to self-care. And I'm, I'm watching myself with intermittent fasting very carefully that I'm, when I'm doing it, I'm doing it very, very mindfully. And the moment it stops working for me and it starts to either go to calorie restriction or to be connected to weight or control in any way I stopped doing it but I've been paleo for the best part of probably more than 10 years and I know that I can eat bits that aren't paleo every so often but when I'm not on it I really see my whole body and mind and ability and emotions all shift and change so I think something about reaching our age where we get to know us as you say you get we get to know ourselves well enough to start to get to know what really works for us and how to play to our strengths in so many areas. And I think our relationship with food, my relationship with food is one of, one of those things that's benefited from, from me getting older, mm. more comfortable in my body. Yeah, and we're in our 40s. You know, we've still got a long... We've got a long haul. 
we got a long way to go. But um, yeah, there are some insights that we gain about ourselves as we as we move along. If you know, if we choose to participate in that self reflection. So when it comes to nourishing ourselves versus nourishing others, how do you find that balance for yourself? Well, definitely doing all the things I say because I sort of also think you know the number of times in my life I've sat in front of fat white middle-aged men telling me what to do when they are blatantly needed that advice themselves I remember years ago I had I hurt my back I was 30 it was my 30th birthday I hurt my back really badly and I went to see a consultant and um this guy told me that I was obese and the problem was my obesity and you know keep in mind that I was a 30 year old in a size 12 that's not obese but even now we know that obesity and BMI is not a thing that we can connect to what happens in our health and still be healthy, responsible practitioners. But that aside, I know that I can't not do these things for myself and sit in integrity with others and ask them to change their lives or to work with them in a mentoring capacity or support them to make change to their businesses or their lives if I can't sit in integrity and saying I'm walking the walk myself. So I, and I th- it kind of also staves off imposter syndrome for me too, if I'm doing all that stuff, if I'm, if I'm doing the work, the reading, the, if I'm being the practitioner, if I'm researching for my clients, if I'm doing my CPD, it helps me sit in a place where I don't, I feel okay to be leading. And so my giving back is, is enabled, I think, by my giving to myself. I've realized it's that way around. It's my face, my own um, oxygen mask on first. What about you? Well, I'm curious just to follow up on on the question. I just want to get to maybe a slightly deeper answer. But how do you know when you've reached the balance? Is there a check within yourself where you like where there's a particular feeling you're looking for? Is there some kind of metric that you use to kind of work it out? I always differentiate in my own life between tired and sleepy. Feeling sleepy because my kids, as last night, got me up three times before 1am. That's okay. That's perfectly normal. But feeling tired for me is not normal, meaning like my brain's not functioning properly. I can't work or I want to go and lie in bed or watch TV when most of the time I'm, you know, my energy's at 10 out of 10 and I'm firing on all cylinders and I can do all the things. When I stop being able to do all the things, I know something's not right and I've got to pull it back and do something in rather than out in order to be able to go out again. Mm. So it's, it's like a feeling of lost capability. Yeah. Diminishing, diminishing mental faculties too. Uh-huh. And aches. I always get aches in my joints. That's one of my warning signs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Thank you. Mm. Do you experience that too? That feeling of needing to go in before you go out? Uh, no, for me, for me, it's definitely around my, definitely around my mental health and my mood and how I'm interacting with others. So if I'm feeling the need to retreat and to just spend days upon days, just devouring the latest show on Prime or Netflix um, and if I've got, you know, seven unread SMSs on my mobile phone and my, um, you know, my email inbox is a thousand unread emails and, 
you know, and I'm not answering the phone when it rings. That's that's for me when I'm, you know, if I'm grumpy at my kids or not wanting to go out and organise play dates or take them to the park and things like that. That's when I'm like, okay, I need to rejig things because I definitely go into my shell and I go into hermit mode when I'm past my limit of coping. And that's when I know, okay, I've got to change the balance here. I think our parenting suffers, doesn't it, when we're not okay. I certainly can see when, I mean, that's the centre of my life. My intention is to parent my children in the way I want to parent them. And so if I'm finding I'm saying to my kids, can you be quiet, I'm tired because I have trouble when I am tired dealing with noise, I don't want to do that. That's another sign for me that, okay, something needs to be moved around. So I centre my parenting again in my life. Mm, yeah and it's interesting how you know especially as women but I think people of all genders experience you know there's pressure and there's expectation that's both imposed externally but also that we take on and generate for ourselves and and that sometimes we need to you know especially for me I need to give myself permission to just have a messy house and to just not have my shit together like that's actually okay for me to to be like that you know I'm I'm quite happy to just go you know what I'm clean I've had a shower I've got clean clothes you know like I'm I'm when when Claire (laughs) right I'm I've left the house I've conformed to social convention you know I've brushed my hair (laughs) and you know I'm fully clothed I even, you know, go to work not wearing active wear, you know, like which just seemed to be the uniform of the world last year. Or at least, you know, active wear on the bottom if you're wearing a nice top for <laughs> for online telehealth. You know, like it, it's actually been, you know, I've I'm a type A personality, but you know, both of us are, so many of us are. Um and I was raised with, you know, a mother who had quite high standards and you know, she was always reminding us that, you know, it was important to have, to keep up appearances and to have, you know, a tidy house and to have nice, you know, nicely pressed shirts and, you know, all of these types of things. And it's actually been really quite liberating for me. And it's something that I've continued to work on over the last, probably over the last decade, um, but much more in the last four or five years. But it's really quite refreshing to just go, you know what, it's actually okay that there's a pile of clothes on my floor drobe and um, it's, you know, that's okay to just have, to just have stuff around, um, you know, and to, to not make myself panicked or guilty or, you know, any of these constricting and knotting feelings um, just because. You know, there's a word for what you're describing. I have recently learned this word, yeah. So I'm doing this awesome course. So after we, we recorded the LGBTQ uh, episode, I realised I had a lot more work to do. So I've been doing this amazing course um, by a person called Kingya, who's on Instagram as Queer Birth Worker, and it's called Birthing Beyond the Binary. And it's hugely already changed my practice and informing what I'm going to do in the next year. But one of the modules that, that they talked about was something called decolonization. Mm. 
And it's the idea that you can, that we have been all conditioned into the idea of the patriarchy or colonization, whatever you want to call it, but the idea that what is key is achieving, being productive, appearances, um, you know, all the things that, that we have been conditioned to do. And me, certainly my personality lends it to that. And so the idea of rest as an act of decolonization, not picking up your clothes as an act of rebellion, uh, allowing rest or nourishment rather than work is an act of decolonization and an act of rebellion against the patriarchy. I really like that idea. I love that. You know, I'm not just watching Netflix. I'm sticking two fingers up to the patriarchy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I really like that. And that extends on, you know, for years, and I'm sure many of us do this with our patients, that we we need to give our patients rest as a prescription. And, you know, that I say, right, okay, part of your homework, part of your prescription is you need to have 30 minutes of lying down a day or if possible, a 30-minute nap every day or even better, an hour. Um, And I've always been a queen of naps. Um, My children have changed that somewhat because I don't always have the space in my day to take a nap. However, they're quite accustomed to just seeing me asleep somewhere in the house and they'll come and wake me if there's something urgent, but otherwise they'll just happily play, independent play. Um, But, yeah, that act... the act of um, deliberately resting as um, as part of being a fully functioning human being, I think, is a great concept. But adding it as up yours to the patriarchy, I love that. But also adding in, you know, not having a clean and tidy whatever it is that you've got. I like that too. You know, we don't have to be so rigid. It takes a lot of energy and effort and can create constraint for people. But have you noticed, I don't know if you find this in your mentoring, but I notice in my mentoring and in, in my conversation with patients, when I'm prescribing self-care or rest, it is easier for the person to do that because I have told them to slash given them permission to. Mm-hmm. So we are still, I think as women, needing to work toward legitimizing it for ourselves, giving ourselves permission, like you've just been talking about, as opposed to having to get it from someone else to enable you to take that rest in a guilt-free way. Yeah, because we're replacing this idea of laziness. That's what so much of that internal dialogue and the battle is about, is that I'm being lazy. You know, I need to be productive. If I'm awake, I need to be productive. You know, and if I haven't produced, then I'm a failure. Or if I haven't produced, then I'm not good enough, or whatever it is, the the story that we tell ourselves. And it's so, so detrimental because especially for women, but for all people who are healing in the healing profession, we need that yin, we need that yin time and yin needs space. You can't force it to come into existence and we need the the pottering and the nothingness and those gaps of half an hour in between activities where we actually don't do anything, we don't achieve anything. You might even just sit down and not even pick up your phone and get onto social media. You may just stare out the window. Like that's that's how we regenerate our yin. And I think that, you know, you can give examples of how that will manifest in all kinds of ways and it might look like a messy floor drobe and it might look like, a a dirty bathroom mirror with toothpaste splattered on it or dishes in the sink that can wait until tomorrow to go into the dishwasher. Who cares if they're there overnight? 
And for me, sometimes it looks like a choice between do the dishes or sit and do painting with my kids. And like I'm making that mindful choice to just leave it and do something else. Yeah. But something's just occurred to me as you're speaking, because I heard a real parallel for us as fertility, who work in fertility, that there's no way to make ourselves relax when it comes to being worried about fertility. You can't make your clients relax. You can't make yourself get to that place where no matter what, it's going to be okay. And I think that that's where we are as women and, and, as, and, and a lot of our patients in fertility world are, that, that everything is so tightly wound and so pressured and so I must do this, I must do that, I have to do that. And so the, the, the little steps of allowing yourself to be and to rest are those baby steps toward that place where no matter what, I'm going to be okay and my life is good, which is the best place to be when you're looking for how to have a baby. Yeah. That you can't make your but you can't make yourself be in that place. You can't, <laughs> type a, you can't type this A yourself into that place. But all those little baby steps of self-care actually is on the path toward that place. Mm. Yeah, if if there was a step that you could, you know, set yourself up, create the environment, and then the final step is just let go and just don't give a crap. Yeah. And I guess that's that's the challenge, isn't it? And so we have to exemplify that for our clients too, I think, working toward that path, going walking down that path ourselves. So, mm, yeah. However we choose to do it. Well, and the outcome is that, you know, by better taking care of ourselves, that we, you know, as you mentioned before, you can more congruently sit with your patients and feel like you're coming from a stronger place when you're giving them self-care advice or when you're counselling them on on lifestyle concerns, but that you've also got the brain power and the heart power and, you know, just the, just the energy to hold the space for your patients in whatever way that that looks like in your clinic, whether you have, you know, lots of intellectual stuff that goes on, whether you just have more intuitive style of practising or whatever combination of resources you need for yourself. It's, it's really about how do we how do we support ourselves to be to best be of service for others and that's that intimate connection that we know also as entrepreneurs that if we don't look after the personal and the professional so intersect that we cannot grow business we cannot we cannot make money we cannot live in abundance in any way unless we are serving the per, the personal as well as the professional yeah indeed and i and i think that you know when we strike the balance for ourselves truly strike the balance for ourselves and when when the energy balances out that's when it starts to you know like the chi of your clinic then becomes supported and you, you know you and you can kind of expand out into the various like your social network and your community and and so forth but you know we can diagnose ourselves we can diagnose the health of our clinic and this it all just kind of manifests out that you know finding that balance between serving ourselves and serving others and how do we refill our own cup so that we can then refill the cups of others and this probably opens up into a much bigger topic that we'll discuss I'm sure in in several more episodes to come around you know, it, it manifests out in financial ways as well, where we have the financial health of ourselves, we have the financial health of our clinic and finding that balance so that we're not over 
accounting for certain aspects but then completely ignoring others. So if we were to leave our listeners with something, I would encourage everybody to do a little take stock after you've listened to us talk at you for an hour, um, to sit down with a piece of paper and to write a list of everything that, because we can only keep about eight things in our brain at a time. So we're constantly mulling over and feeling like we're forgetting and need to do things is to write every single thing that you feel you need to do in your life down personal and professional on a piece of paper. So it's not held in your head anymore. And then to take it and to look at what is going out and what is going in, in your life, just a pure black and white exercise. What do I get come in nourishing me? What am I giving out to others in which areas and make sure that those two things are balanced. And so you can see in a really black and white way, if they're not balanced, you can then ask yourself, what do I need to do for myself? Or what do I need to buy for myself? Or what do I need to ask someone else to do for me? in order that that balance is redressed. Mm. I think that's a great exercise. I look forward to hearing what people have to say about that. Yeah, leave us a note in the comments. Let us know what you come up with (laughs) if you got to the end of this. (laughs) Yeah, and and I I look forward to hearing how this plays out for you because, you know, we've talked about some really interesting ideas. You know, we, we've talked about it purely from our own experiences, which is really the only place that we can speak from. You know, we all have our own individual experiences of, of these issues and the challenges that life throws up to us at various places in our life. But I wonder how much our listeners are already noticing that they're already making these adjustments for themselves and that it it could be really easy to just make a few key adjustments to the few areas that have just come up in this episode where you think oh yeah I could just do that one little thing or just make this little tweak here and how much that could transform things for you and for your clinic and for your patients and your family. It's a cascade isn't it one small change can lead to more space more thinking more choice more whatever you need to make more change to advantage yourself in your life I'm also a big fan of getting tips so if anyone has any tips in terms of nervous system regulation or life hacks that they want to share please do I'd love to know what everyone else has come up with a way ways to kind of save their sanity you can add it to your fabulous list of, of life hacks. And we'll put the life, we'll put Nava's life hacks in the, in the. Um, in oh, okay, the, are we going to? All right. <laughs> we're going to put them in the show notes and we're going to put them. I'm really fascinated about this device, this wearable vagus nerve stimulating device. So I think we'll put a link to that. Oh my God, it's the best thing ever. We'll definitely link to it. It's called a Sensate. And I just, it's the just such a fantastic bit of money I have spent. It's a daily, multiple times daily um, money back reward for me. It's been amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Claire would like to go to bed now because <laughs> <laughs> it's evening there and she needs rest as is appropriate. And it's half past 10 here. So I'm going to go and have some morning tea and get on with my work. But thank you for listening. Thanks for being part of our journey. Yeah. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.